Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, just the time we have to study your word. We pray as we study uh, just the idea of um, how we are to use the resources given to us, especially money, that you would give us uh, your perspective of what um, uh, money is and why we're, we're supposed to be, uh, how we're supposed to use it uh, for you. Uh, we pray as we study your word, you would, you know, uh, implant the word in our hearts that we may result and do what you want us to do with it and encourage one another. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so some time ago, uh, Pastor um, Ray uh, contacted me about speaking about uh, money from the Proverbs. And, you know, my, for those who know me, my background is in finance. And um, years ago, I, you know, um, before I became a continuous improvement person, I used to be a, a money manager for a, a money management firm and for a bank trust company. So, I've, you know, I've dealt with money of various sorts, and I'm not perfect in it, and I don't think anybody is. Uh, so what I'd like to do is just to go through some of the Proverbs and uh, give you some ideas to reflect. I've sent out the presentation to, um, to Eric, to Alex, and to John, uh, so they have it. And so, you know, they can distribute or put it up on, a, on a joint heirs uh, distribution or something if they want. You know, it's in, it's in a PDF form, so you guys can take it. So you don't need to really take a lot of notes with right now unless you want to. Uh, if something strikes you, uh, you can, you know, take your notes. Uh, however you take it, uh, you know, pen, pencil, or on your phone, which, is, uh, which I often do or on a pad. So, the, you know, here's a, an interesting prop that I found. I'm, and I'm interspersing both uh, the, uh, the New Living Translation, which is a little bit more freer in its translation. It's not really a study translation, but it's a, sometimes they, they kind of, uh, the wording is a little bit more interesting. And then I'll also be interspersing that with the English Standard Version. And most of the time, I'll indicate each one, but there are times when I think I forgot to, to tell you which one it is, but you'll, you'll, which version it is, but you'll see it. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that lazy people are soon poor, but hard workers get rich. And often we think, uh, you know, how do you get rich? You work hard, but then you'll see in our day, a lot of people aren't working hard, but they're still rich because uh, of the, the job they're in. And sometimes that kind of gives us a, a different idea about you know, what are we trying to do in this life? And for a lot of people, um, it, it has to do with wealth and it has to do with uh, riches or at least uh, avoiding uh, poverty. And, you know, COVID-19 has really uh, done a lot to, as you've, you know, read and seen on uh, television stuff, has done a, a lot to actually reveal the disparity of wealth, um, not only in the United States, but in our world. Uh, uh, within countries, uh, there are, you know, classes of people who have money and those who don't. Uh, there are those who are employed and those who are don't. There are those who are new, newly homeless and stuff like that because of uh, the pandemic. Uh, but there are also countries that are suffering uh, because uh, they don't have uh, the wealth they need to take care of themselves or, or their people. But God gives us a lot of wisdom through the Proverbs on money and how we're supposed to view it, how we're supposed to to look at it. So let's, let's, let's look through some of them. So, you know, we asked the question, you know, why do people want money, you know? And so go ahead and, you know, this is kind of somewhat a little bit interactive. So go ahead in your chat. Um, I have another computer up with uh, the, you know, the chat line open. So if you can start thinking, answering this question, why, why do you think people want money? I give you a, you know, give you a uh, thirty minute, thirty seconds. Just to, sorry, go ahead. Start typing things in the chat if you want. And okay, 
keep going. We got some, we got some good ideas there. Um, share with others, honor God, comfort, security, <laughs> purchase food and have shelter. Great. You know, ah, options, opportunities to buy things. Ooh, power. Somebody wants power. Was it, was it Amber wants power? Um, Lena wants entertainment. Janin wants love. Uh, he, he's, you know, can't buy me love, whatever, but yeah, he can. Uh, vacations. Thanks, Kristen. Uh, Veronica wants social status. Yeah, what do you, you know, what are people driving, wearing, living? Uh, you want to bathe? James wants to bathe in money. Interesting. Okay. So we think about it. Those are all, you know, interesting answers, what we, what we hear in our day. But if we look at, you know, why do people want money? The, you know, a lot of times we think about it is freedom. You know, um, I used to work with uh, uh, my boss when I was a manager, when, he, when I was in money management. And we had this talk and we were over at um, eating dinner, I think one time. And he goes, Dale, you know, um, you want money because it gives you the freedom and options. And he said this over this real thick steak he was eating. And so we started thinking freedom, freedom to do, to do what I want. And you know how this goes. I want to do when I want it, where I want it, and with whomever I want. You know, someday I'm going to have it all, you know, because if I have enough money, then I'm going to have it. So it's a lot of things that you guys listed here in terms of options, opportunities. You know, you don't have to settle for this or that because you have the money to buy what you want. And so, you know, that's what a lot of people strive for in terms of that's our, you know, the, the world's view of money. That's our common view of money. That's certainly not a bad thing to want things or, you know, to have it. But often we think about, you know, but what do, what, what do people end up with? You know, so you start thinking about that. Go ahead and use your chat for a little bit. You know, in, you know, people are trying to get money for a lot of things that you guys listed. Uh, so what do they end up with in their pursuit of money? <laughs> Debt. Thanks, Roger. Oh, Zach thinks misery and death. Wow. Jeremy wants emptiness or has emptiness, senses emptiness for people who do that, stress, insecurity, selfishness. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, Andrew Jen, nothing, all is vanities. You're listening to Pastor Ray. Uh, unending greed. You just want more. It's just kind of like a drug. Uh, money is can be loneliness. Money gives me loneliness, Janet. How can that be? You know, I thought people want my money. John, John Louis says, well, false expectations. Uh, Nathan Ng, unfulfillment. Josh, uh, depending on the income, a certain standard of living that they end up with. And, but sometimes you can get um, no freedom. So what do people end up with? And these are ideas that you would come up with. Um, well, you're stuck. You know, you're stuck with a job that sometimes you don't really like. You know, you go there. Uh, you endure it. Sometimes you're, you're blessed and you actually have a job that you really like. And that's great if you, uh, if you can have those. But sometimes a lot of people don't end up with that. Uh, sometimes they end up like uh, they say dead here. Um, bills you can't pay. Um, you don't have time to do anything because you're working so hard to make more money. And then so you end up with a monotonous cycle of just getting up, work, eating, and sleeping. So a lot of times people who are pursuing money hoping for freedom, just end up almost being imprisoned. Uh, imprisoned in um, a life of trying to strive to get something, but not really ending up with it. Is this what God wants for our life? 
Is this how he wants us to end up? So we start thinking about that. We think, okay, you know, this is joint heirs. This is church. So what does God want from my life? You know, what is God looking for? And as you look through this proverb, you know, you can see that it says, you know, what God wants us to do is to pursue instruction instead of silver, to pursue knowledge rather than gold, wisdom rather than jewels, because everything that you may uh, desire cannot compare. So when you think about that, you start realizing what God really wants from us is to follow him, is <clears throat> to pursue that, that instruction that he provides regarding life. Um, and knowledge rather than gold, and wisdom rather than precious jewels. And you realize that when you do that, God's wisdom, God's knowledge, and instruction begin to um, guide your life rather than the, just a blind pursuit of wealth. So, am I supposed to, you know, want wisdom and instruction rather than money? Well, it's more, you know, you think about that. It's not really so much that you don't want money, but it's more about priority and in order, a sequence. You start looking about that. Here you can read this. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver and her wages better than gold. Because wisdom allows you to, to see through things. That's why a lot of times, and you gave some really good answers there to the questions, that people seek money, but they don't find what they want. They don't find freedom. Uh, what they find is a, almost a bondage to uh, a life of pursuing wealth, but never being able to enjoy it. But you can see that the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. God does want you to enjoy life. And, you know, as Pastor Ray, Ray goes through um, Ecclesiastes, you've already mentioned it at least once that, you know, what else is there in life but to enjoy life uh, and, the, and the work that God has given you, you know, in the fear of the Lord. So when we have humility, which is submission to God's will, when we revere God, our Lord, uh, we, we, we find in our life riches, honor, and life. We don't necessarily find uh, the wealth, the dollar amount that other people want, but we find contentment often for what God has given to us, and that in itself is riches. So, God wants me to have money? You know, what's the answer to that? Yes, God actually expects you to have money. Um, you know, it's, it's not the prosperity gospel of, you know, you give this and God will bless it. It's almost like, you know, uh, gospel gambling. It's not that, but God does want us to have uh, wealth. And, and he kind of expects us not to be wealthy, the rich of this world, but to have, you know, the money that we need to live and to do other things. Or this verse tells us that it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. So there, it's, a po it's possible to be blessed by the Lord, to have wealth, to have riches, to have money, and to have it without sorrow, without regret without pain, without a lot of things that we listed uh, about what people get. So you can have rich and have no sorrow with it. And then it's an interesting verse here is the, the idea is that we are to honor the Lord with our wealth and <clears throat> with the first fruits of produce. 
And it, then the result will be that our barns will be filled with plenty of fats bursting with, with wine. And the idea here is, isn't so much that you have barns and vats and stuff like that, but the results of your work will provide plenty. Um, there'll be more than enough because you're honoring the Lord with your wealth. Does that mean you'll have an extravagant life? Probably not, um, because you won't be so focused on getting the, the, the latest this or that or the most expensive this or that, because your desire is to honor the Lord. And we'll get, we'll get further into that as we go through our, um, these ideas and Proverbs. But we, God does expect us to uh, have riches because he's going to give it to us. He's going to entrust it to us. When you think about that, you know, when you uh, look at uh, parents and growing up, and I don't know if you uh, experienced it, but often parents will give their kids an allowance. Uh, it isn't so much that this is uh, their inheritance, like, uh, you know, the prodigal son, this is, you know, this is all you're living, you know, he doesn't, you don't do that to a kid, but you give him a little bit of money to see what he does with it. And he's learning to take care of it. And is he going to honor the parents with the wealth? Is he going to honor the Lord with the, the little money that he gets? And so there are times when we would, you know, we had a, a box for our kids. We actually had three little boxes that they came and we give them their, um, their allowance and we wouldn't give them, you know, to him in, you know, one, like a large dollar bill, but we give them to him in coins and there would be some money for them to spend on themselves, some money to save and some money to give to God you know, and bring it to church and put it in the offering and, and when they collected it at junior church or at, um, you know, Sunday school. And so, you know, you're teaching children to honor the Lord with their riches and their wealth, uh, however little it is, so that they become older, you're honoring the Lord with their wealth. So keep that in the back of your mind that the reason that God gives us money is to honor him with it, not necessarily to expend it upon ourselves. So what's the issue? You know, it could be a problem. Well, let's think of it in the positive angle. What's the issue? And, then, and the, pro the issue is that we can expect too much from our money. Remember we talked about, you know, what do people want? They want freedom. They want to be able to buy this or, you know, eat this or that or do whatever they want. They're expecting money to do too much from, for them. And then you see this, this verse. Um, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, like a high wall in his imagination. And when you think about it, back in the day, in the time of David and Solomon, um, the, the idea is that, you know, there were not banks, there was no online, you know, uh, um, way to store your wealth. Uh, there was no Bitcoin. There's none of that. There was no, um, you know, banks or there was no, you know, federal deposit, you know, insurance. There was none of that. It's, you, you know, you got to protect your money. That's why it's a strong city. And he would think that, a strong man would think that because of his wealth, he was secure. And a lot of times we, we think about that, that if I only had this much money, I would be financially secure, that it would um, protect me. And it's only your, your imagination that is, is there. Back in the day when I was in um, money management, uh, in, the, in the height of the dot-com uh, boom, uh, around 2000, the year 2000 or so, a guy walked into my office and he had $4 million of technology stock. Uh, he had just, he had been, he's an engineer and he hit it at the right time, the right place. 
so by the time he exercised all his options and everything, he had $4 million uh, of that stock in his portfolio. And he, he was in his mid-30s. He had a couple kids married. And I said, well, what are you going to do? You know, and um, he said, well, I'm not going to sell a share of my stock because our company is so great. You know, we have a dominant position in this. And, and you, know, you know, and I looked at him and said, no, 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 that's the smartest thing to do. What if something goes wrong? He goes, what could go wrong? You know, we're on top of the world. We're the best. And so um, that was in 2000. And then, as you know, that, that year, um, the technology uh, hardware stocks begin to crater. And um, he never let me really let me touch much of his money. He gave me a couple hundred thousand to play with. And I did you know, a diversified portfolio to help him at least have something. But the next time I saw him, his $4 million turned to $400,000. He lost 90% of his money. And he thought that his $4 million portfolio was his security. And what it was is uh, by the time you think about it, exercising his options, having to pay the taxes on his options, he's probably going to end up with nothing um, and very little because of the, the high cost of exercising options at that point. And so you look at it, you know, does money provide you security? And we're thinking too much about it if we do. If I think this because I have this much money in my bank account or my stock portfolio, or I own, you know, I own this or I own that, that this is going to protect me, uh, then we're foolish because it, it will not. The second thing that we expect from money is this, it comes in this next proverb, better have little with fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. And here it's the comparison of having very little wealth, but having a reverence for God as your, your platform, your foundation of your life. Because the comparison is to someone who has a great treasure, but has inner turmoil. That is, the person doesn't have peace. If you think that money is going to bring you peace, inner peace, uh, a, a sense of well-being, then you haven't watched the people around us. That, um, like the people, you, you name it, um, uh, whether it's a sports star, uh, whether it's a high-tech, you know, mogul, or it's a, you know, someone, a movie star. You know, they, they're not in peace. In fact, they're, they're constantly uh, in struggle. They're constantly thinking about what it is, you know, going on. Um, one of the people that walked into our office um, when I was in, in money management uh, was the CEO of a tech firm around the same time, around the 2000 year, 2000 timeframe. Um, about, you know, six months before uh, he walked into his office. He was worth about $1.7 billion. And that's back when $1.7 billion was a lot more than it was today. Uh, not that it's not a little today, but it was a lot more then. By the time we met him, he only had about $500 million. Uh, still a lot of money that day, but you know, quite a bit of drop. But his problem wasn't that. It wasn't his money. His problem was that he had two teenage daughters. And when you think about that, um, his two teenage daughter, daughters in their mid-teens, 15, 16, and this art was written up in an article in the Wall Street Journal, is that each of his daughters, by the time they hit 21, 25, they were going to inherit $100 million each. Um, so what do you, do, what do you, what do you tell uh, your daughter 
to do? Well, go to school and study hard. Why? Uh, so you can get a good college. Why? So, you know, you graduate from good school, you get a job. Why? So you can make, earn a living. I'm going to get $100 million in, when I turn 25. Why do I need to work? Why do I need to go to school? And, um, oh boy, you know, by the way, I met a boy. Did you really? What's he after? Well, he's after your $100 million. Is he really? Or does he love you? Um, you talk to the parent like that, there's no peace. It, it, all it is is struggle because he doesn't know the well-being of his family uh, because of the wealth they have. The wealth did not give them peace. Wealth gave them an anxiety that wasn't even on the radar of any other middle-class family. Um, and so you kind of look at that and saying, well, do I, you know, do my, what am I expecting from my money? And so when you start looking around at the wealthy people in our day, um, they don't have security and they don't have peace. So how can I have the right attitude about money, realizing that what it won't give me, you know, what, what am I, what does God expect from me at this point? We can understand that at least that money does not make you better than someone who has less. In our day, often we, we look at people at, you know, what do they drive, where do they live, and what are they wearing? Uh, what kind of job do they have? What are they pulling down, we might say. And often we think about people in terms of um, rank based on uh, the amount of money they have or the amount of money they make or something like that. But we realize that the rich and the poor actually have something in common. What is that? Well, the Lord made them both, the proverb said, that whether you're rich or poor, God made you that way. God has given the rich opportunity that the poor may not have had. And then, but you understand that the God is the God of the poor as well. So you think about that. Um, so if, I are, you know, if I'm, look, I'm walking on the street and I see a homeless guy there, I'm not better than he is. You know, uh, he has an eternal soul just like I do. Uh, he is no more, he is no less, for the Lord has made us both. And we realize that. And when we think about, you know, sharing the gospel with others, you know, that's an opportunity there. Another verse, rich people may think they're wise, but a poor person with discernment can see right through them. A lot of times rich people, you know, from time to time can be very arrogant. Uh, they think they're, they're smart because of the money they have but rather a poor person who has learned to get along and is able to read situations often has a lot more discernment than a rich person. A rich person is often tainted by their view of the world, whereas a poor person faces the stark reality of getting along each day. Um, and you start thinking about that. So we understand the principle that um, money does not make us better than someone who is less. God has made us. And the rich are often at times more discerning than the rich, the poor are, that is. So what, when you ask me, you know, doesn't, don't the poor have themselves to blame? You know, aren't they in their own situation because of that? And, you know, you hear the testimonies on television today about COVID-19, about people who had never um, been to food lines or in, find themselves in food lines now. And we see that. And it, a lot of times it's just because the, the place they work um, had issues, uh, you know, had, had to shut down. But, you know, even though some of the poor, you know, are because of the way they are, you know, sometimes they are that way. But how we treat them is really our responsibility. 
So the Proverbs teach, uh, talks to us about that. And it says there, you know, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker, the maker of the poor. Uh, he who is glad at the con con uh, calamity will not go unpunished. So if we think of the poor and we think, oh, they deserve what they're going to get, and we mock them, we, we insult our God. So we need to be very careful that um, if we're going to treat them, we need to treat them as God expects. The poor may, you know, ask for help and plead for mercy, but the rich and covetous often answer with insults. Um, a lot of times, you know, the, the rich think they're so smug in what they have um, that they begin to treat the, the poor very poorly. Like that. But the, script, the scriptures also encourage us because those who are uh, blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. Um, as we, you know, give to um, food banks, as we, you know, give of our time as well as our wealth to the poor, we realize that uh, we're blessed by God. God is the one who causes us to treat uh, the poor well. Um, and it's, it's like that. When I was doing the study, I found um, the subject uh, that probably has the most verses in Proverbs in the area of wealth has to do with the poor. Um, and the guy that uh, was in the link to the, the joint heirs invite has that. You can check for yourself. So what does God say expect from us? Let's go through that. With our wealth, we need to consider, you know, what do others need? And we can think about that. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay them. Uh, blessed are those who are generous, for they feed the poor again. And so what does God expect from us is to be generous, uh, especially to those in need. Now, there may be people in our own community at church who are in need. Um, some of us are able to work from home or work remotely, but a lot of people can't. And so we need to be sensitive to those around us uh, who may be in need. There are also uh, people in, in, our, in our midst who are, you know, medical workers who are facing, you know, tough times who may have needs that are, are not met uh, because of uh, the work that they have. And so we need to really start thinking about that. Uh, make contact with those and pray for them and to, you know, be generous. Um, you know, we think about that. We think about the ease of, you know, transferring wealth, you know, either, you know, PayPal, Venmo, gift cards like that. Just different ways that you can give to the people within the church, uh, our church and, and believers in other churches that, that you may know. Uh, we also look at those who... Uh, serve ministry. A lot of the missionaries having to come back to the states, um, they're incurring more debt. Uh, no, or not necessarily debt, but more expenses because of the fact that now back in the states. And what can we do to help? So we we can also. What does God expect? We can also be balanced in our wealth expectations. Um, and this verse is an interesting one because um, it talks about um, there are things that God uh, that we should ask. And one is the first one, don't, you know, to remove me from falsehood and lying, you know, let me be someone who speaks truth. But the more extensive part of this verse, and that second one, is, you know, don't give me poverty or riches. That is kind of a balance, because what you want to happen is, is that you see there, the last part, lest I be full and deny the Lord. You know, think that I have riches because I'm so smart. Or lest I be poor and I steal, remember, by the name of my God. 
that is, you know, in order to survive, I find myself doing evil. And so we can want, in a sense, what we should be balanced is, I, you know, it's better off actually if I'm not too rich and I'm not too poor. Um, when you think about it is, uh, uh, those who are rich don't necessarily have a lot of freedom in the sense that people know they're rich, they're going to get them. They're going to, there's always people trying to get them. Uh, the, and it's the same way with the, po the poor. There are people who are trying to hurt the poor, get rid of the poor, move the poor. So often our, the balanced expectation of wealth is that God would give me what I need, but not more than I need necessarily. Now, there's also the expectation that um, if I'm going to, you know, have money, then I need to work for it. And that's what uh, the scriptures teach us, that work does bring profit. But if you just talk about, uh, you know, what you're going to do, then you're going to be poor because it's just talk. You're not doing any action. You're not actually going out and getting a job. And for those of uh, you know, us who don't have jobs and we're trying as hard as we could, this is not that verse, but it's like those who, um, you know, talk a good game, but don't do it, then they have, um, they have a lack. They, they have a need. The positive is that if you have good planning and hard work, you can be prosperous. Uh, not necessarily rich, not necessarily, and you're not better than anybody, but you have what you need. You're prosper. Uh, your prosperity is there. Uh, but if you try and take a shortcut, if you try to get rich quick, um, often that just leads to poverty. And we saw that. I saw a lot of that in the, you know, when I was working in the stock market. More, a lot of, you know, a lot of day traders, a lot of, you know, get rich screens, a lot of stuff on late night television about real estate. Uh, a lot of people just trying to get rich, taking shortcuts to hard work. Understand what laziness, effective laziness. Um, this one is, is, is interesting because it, it pictures poverty like a, a robber. Uh, that, you know, if you're lazy, um, you know, and not getting a job, not going to work, then you're going to lack. Uh, you're going to lack um, a lot of things that you actually need. Um, and this is from the scriptures. It's not just, you know, advice from your parents, but it's like, oh, you know, I need to go out and do something to earn a living. Uh, the generation before us, uh, my parents, uh, at least my dad, came to the States without a dollar in his pocket uh, from China. And if he had just kind of, you know, said, well, um, I, I don't know the language and I'm, I'm poor and then, not do anything, uh, you know, we would be poor, maybe not even being able to go to school. But, um, you know, parents like our parents will get two or three jobs to make ends meet, to be able to put, you know, a food on the table, you know, clothes on, the, on, our, on the children and a, and a place to stay. And so that's kind of like, you know, getting it done, uh, not being lazy. But lazy people, you know, want much, but they get little. Um, because they're not willing to put out the effort. But those who work hard will prosper. And these are general principles from the Proverbs. Now, this is what God's view of, of work is, that we'd work hard and earn a living. Now, there are some caveats, and these are, you know, these are interesting things from the scriptures, that we need to be careful when lending money or even our name. And I don't know how you're familiar with this, but there's a danger about, you know, putting up your name, co-signing a loan, um, you know, insuring somebody else's debt. 
because if they walk away from it, you're on the hook from it. Um, you know, you'll hear, you read stories about it or watch something, uh, some video and somebody, you know, co-signed a loan with a friend and that friend just bailed on them. And that person now is in debt and needs to pay off somebody else's house or pay off somebody else's car. Uh, they don't even own it. They're just end up paying for it because they, they, you know, were security for a stranger. And so don't, you know, um, don't loan money to, you know, to people you don't know. Um, and if you do give money to somebody, you know, you're, you probably end up better just to make it a gift. if It's that good. And the idea is, um, you know, you, you think about this, you know, what do you know, what do you want as security? What do you think you put in as a pledge? And in that day, in you know, the time of David and Solomon was that you, the person would give you their clothing because their garment was their blanket. Uh, and, they would come back for it. They'd do anything because if they don't, they're going to freeze at night. And even so that the prophets would put it is, um, you know, you know, and the idea of putting it as a down payment, a pledge uh, for, you know, somebody who is um, as untrustworthy as an adulteress. So if you put up, you know, uh, a pledge for somebody who is unreliable, like an adulteress who won't even keep covenant, then that's the danger you have. So be careful about, you know, saying, you know, be guaranteeing somebody else's debt, especially when you don't know them. And it may be even be family that they say, hey, come in here, my relative, you know, sign this loan with me, you know, and I'll, and I'll be making the payments. And then all of a sudden they bail because of something and you end up incurring their debt. Uh, it's better not to put yourself in that situation. Uh, similarly, be careful when, when you borrow money, um, because the idea is that if you're a um, borrower, uh, the lender and their terms end up becoming uh, what you need to keep to. Uh, you signed an agreement, you made an agreement. And I know it's very egregious if you start thinking about you know loan sharks and all that, but it's not even that. It's like anytime you end up, you know, instead of paying for something that you, or having the money to pay for something, you put it on a credit card or you take out a, a equity loan or something like that, you end up um, saying, oh man, I got to pay this back. And that ends up being uh, a problem to you. You know, there's several people that I know outside, you know, uh, in my work area who are saddled with a lot of, a lot of debt, uh, a lot of from student loans or, or et cetera. And it's not that they have a loan on their house because they have an asset to match the, the loan, which is equally valuable. So that's not a problem. But if they take out a loan to, to, buy, to buy something that they can't afford or something that's going to pay back less, and then that becomes a problem. Understand that wealth also has with it uh, a degree, a requirement for integrity, uh, a requirement for integrity. So the idea here is that it's better to have little with godliness uh, than to be rich and dishonest. You know, I've often told, you know, um, my children that, you know, as they're growing up that I would rather, I would rather be fired for doing the right thing than promoted for doing the wrong thing. Um, and the idea there is that I'd rather suffer the consequences of doing the right thing uh, by a dishonest manager than to be rewarded by a dishonest manager. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is just personal integrity before God, and that's the biggest reason. You want to have your conscience clear before God. You want to honor God with how we live. 
the second thing is is that your um, your reputation goes with it. Uh, when I was in the, the postal service, um, I had a I had occasion of uh, catching another supervisor because I was a supervisor at the time falsifying data, and I confronted him with it, and I actually confronted our manager with it, and he kind of just laughed uh, as if it was no big deal. And then I confronted another one, and he just laughed too. Um, the higher manager ended up getting demoted uh, from a manager to being a carrier. Uh, the other uh, supervisor got transferred. And a lot of it uh, because they were not able, they were just dishonest. In another instance, um, one of the senior managers um, falsified data, and, and the shop steward uh, found out about it and began to blackmail him to do all sorts of things uh, because his dishonesty uh, was found out. And so whatever reputation you have at work is the matter of how you will be, you know, end up being treated. Um, not to, and it's not to, to, you know, to exalt myself, but just to give thanks to God for, you know, his grace, which is the work in my life is that I had one of my managers and I didn't, I don't know why she did it, but when she used to introduce me to other people in the organization, um, she would say this, she would say, you know, Hey, here's Dale. He's one of my supervisors and uh, whatever he says, you can trust him because he won't lie. And it, it wasn't that I like telling people the bad news is that I'd rather deal with the bad news up front than to be caught in a lie and try and figure it out. Um, if you, if you, if you always tell the truth and you never have to worry about what to say, because it's the same story each time. Um, and so being uh, godly with little is better than being dishonest and having a lot of wealth. So integrity is a big deal uh, when it comes to that. Um, and finally, I actually had a, I actually had a shop steward come up to me in the postal service and he actually looked at me in the eye and says, you know, says, I don't like you, but I trust you. And it wasn't so much about me, but it's like, oh, thank you, Lord, for you know working in my life. Because without the Lord, I would be dishonest. Without the Lord, I would be that guy. So, it's a matter of um, letting God do His work in your heart to to make you a person of integrity. And again, wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. So, um, when people know that they've done something wrong to get their wealth. Um, they don't forget it. It, it becomes uh, like a, a trap that they can't get out because their, their guilt will uh, continue to plague them. A lot of times that's why people end up trying to extinguish their guilt using drugs or alcohol or immoral relationships or something like that, uh, rather than confess their sin to God and let it, you know, and, and move on from there. We need to understand the temptation of wealth. I'm, I'm getting done here. Is that um, the earnings of the godly enhance our lives? And the idea here is that, oops, sorry, that we understand that um, the temptation of wealth is that um, we may squander our money on sin, that we may put our, you know, um, spend our money on our pleasures rather than honoring God. Because remember we talked about it was one of the first principles to honor God with your wealth. Here, evil people squander their money on sin. They find their way of either it's greed, selfishness, something they buy they don't need, 
um, something that they uh, they think it will exalt themselves, extravagant vacations, uh, a house can't afford, car they can't afford, um, and then there's also immoral things that they can do with money. Um, and then that last uh, proverb there, such is the fate of all who agree for money, it robs them of life. Um, the idea that the pursuit of uh, money in a greedy manner uh, will rob you of your life. You'll never stop working. You'll never have enough. You always want more. And um, the ones that I've had, which are good clients in, in financial management, are those who are satisfied. Um, I had um, one, one client back in the day who, he and his wife were both doctors. They together, their combined income, and this is 20 years ago, so it's actually a large number. Their combined income was about you know $500,000 a, a year um, because they were very successful in their, in their work. And then I visited them one time at their house. Um, it was actually a mansion you know, in St. Francis Woods. And they, you know, and I, and I watched them get into their car. It was a beat up old Volvo. I'm <laughs> going, that's your car? He goes, yeah, it's, you know, and their kids piled in and it's like, yeah, this car has been, you know, served them for years. Um, but it, they weren't greedy. They, you know, they, they, they had a good attitude toward money. They had money. I mean, you know, they weren't Christians, but they understood that they were fortunate. And, and you know, even though they lived in a really nice house, they didn't, they didn't let uh, their, their money rob them of life. Uh, they were kind of really down to earth. And so you realize that, you know, if we let greed take over our lives, uh, then we will lose our life. It will rob us of our life. So our final thoughts, you know, um, we have a responsibility to provide for ourselves. So we do need to provide earn a living. The scriptures are clear on that in Proverbs. We also realize in Proverbs that money is a stewardship. It's not something that makes us better than others. It's not something that we earn and deserve. It's something that God has given to us. The New Testament tells us, you know, why do we boast if everything that we've been given has been given to us? There's no reason to boast that you have money or that you have a job that pays more than others. There's no reason for boasting there. It's all given by God. The third thing is that we need to be wise. You know, how are we earning our money, how we're spending it, and how we're investing it. You know, we need to be, be a part of understanding. And that last one is, you know, um, how are your money actually reflects our relationship to God. Um, it's, as, it's the same as how you use your day. You know, how do you use your time? How do you often use your leisure time? That reflects your relationship with God. And so that's it. I also gave a link to um, to Eric to a video if you want to see it by Ray Dalio. He's not a believer, but he's a he's kind of a money manager, kind of a guru guy. But he explains the the business cycle and in the probably the best way I've ever heard it explained. Uh, I learned a lot from him. And so if you if you want that video, just you know uh, ping Eric, and I'll, I'll send it out to uh, Alex and, and John as well. So that's it. That's the end of uh, my presentation. Hopefully that was helpful.